Hey everyone, I'm Alexa. And I'm Catherine. And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And on today's episode, we're talking about Knives Out with actress and singer Carrie Francis, who honestly, according to us, is the true star of Knives Out. Hey guys, Catherine here. You're about to listen to our interview with Carrie and stick around afterwards for our breakdown of Knives Out. By the way, I swear to God, we did not plan to wear the same color. Yeah, me and Catherine are wearing the same color. This happens to us at least once a month. We get on a recording and we're wearing the same color. It's insane. Are y'all related? We are. We're cousins. We're cousins. I think the the glasses and the matching shirts definitely helps. I think it's the eyes, actually. I think you guys have really similar eyes. So we met when you commented on our photo of... Chris Evans in the sweater, the sweater. Yes. And you were like, I can tell you about what that sweater is like in real life. Yes. Yeah. I saw it because, um, our mutual friends, the guys at rom-com gents. Yeah. So I'm doing an episode of theirs as well. And I, they've been following me for a while on Instagram and they, they've been like weirdly connecting for me. They connected me to the girls at girl crush. I did an episode of that. And I just love those girls and, um, a few others. And, um, they shared something that you guys did. It wasn't Knives Out related, but I was like, who are these people? Like, it was something that I I wanted to see, you know? Like, it was relevant to something I was interested in. And when I clicked over, the Knives Out one was right there. I just, like, went to your profile, and I was like, oh, there's Chris in the sweater. Yes, yeah, we can talk the sweater. We could talk the sweater the whole episode if you guys wanted. We could talk <laughs> his costume changes, his dog. <laughs> yes, the sweater is lovely in person. The costume designer for Knives Out was one of the first people I interacted with. And this is my first movie, right? So like I didn't do anything indie or, you know, I'm from like the theater in New York world. So I was very nervous, obviously. And I had never done like a proper fitting outside of commercials. I'd never done like a big fitting and I had no idea how it was going to go. And I think she kind of was like her and her assistant. They were like, this girl's nervous, you know? And so they actually went and got Anna's dog, Anna D'Armas' dog, Elvis, and brought him in because I mentioned oh, I love dogs so much. And after the fitting, the costume designer, Jenny, who's amazing and just brilliant and nominated for so many amazing things. I think she's won many awards as well. She was like, here, come with me. And so she brought me to Chris's trailer to meet Dodger. So that was like my very first few moments on set or like first hour on set. And I thought, okay, it's going to be okay. Cause I was inundated with dogs and kindness right away. Oh my God. I love that. All of the costumes I think were amazing, but the sweater really took off. Everyone and their mother is obsessed with the sweater. It really took on a life of its own. And I don't know if that was PR. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but I think the Chris Evans fans are are real and active and alive. And they were like, look at this sweater. It did really have holes in it. And it was very cold where we were. And we just all hung out together. And we were in like a downstairs part of that old house. And it was very cold. So I think he was cozy in it. So tell us how you ended up with your part in the movie. I think we learned that you know the director and that he wrote that part for you. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I know Ryan from, I did a Broadway tour about 10 years ago and I had a night off in Texas in Dallas. I went to see a movie and I went by myself. No one else wanted to go. And I had friends who really liked Brick 
and like think like high school and I was not into it. And they were like, come on, watch this movie with us and put on the DVD. And they're like, it's brilliant. You know, it's like a group of like guys who like wanted to make movies like that type of friends. One of them in particular, I was, I was really close with. And so I thought, oh, I'll get this director guy. Like I'll go see this movie, this brother's bloom. And I'll get him to sign something for this friend because it was the only connection I had in my head, you know? And so I went up to him after the Q&A. We talked briefly and he's a big musical theater fan. I don't know if you guys know that. He's like very into musicals. That's Alexis kind of guy right there. Yeah, I love musicals. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So it was Fiddler. I don't know if you're familiar with Amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was a really big deal tour with like big fancy people. And oh my God, that's so exciting. It was really exciting. Yeah. And it was like my first really big job and I was right out of school and I had gone to a big open call and I was the only person out of like 800 people at this open call that booked it. So I got like my union card and that that's is amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. And the perfect time to go on tour is when you're that young and you don't have any responsibilities. And I had never really seen mo most of the country, you know, so on someone else's dime being put up in these beautiful hotels and flown around the country, that's like you're living, you yeah. know? So he was like, oh, are you coming to LA to play the Pantages? Because all the tours go there. Yeah. And I was like, heck yeah, like we'll be there in a couple months. And he was like, okay, great. Like um, message me on Twitter or something. Like, you know, tell me that you're there and I'll come see it. And I was like, all right, whatever. And um, so I did. And he did come see it. And he gave me his contact info so he could come meet up after. And we went out and got food that night and just hit it off. You know, we're very similar. Obviously, we're different in a lot of ways. You know, he's a dude. and He's significantly older. And his career was already a lot more in motion. And I was a lot more in theater. And um, but we're the same brand of weird. You know, we have the same humor. We speak kind of the same language. It was one of the first times in my life, especially as like a really young adult, that it wasn't like someone that I grew up with or that I had, you know, become friends with in high school or whatever. It was like, oh, you're my people. There's people like you, you know, out here. And I'm, I was still like really figuring out most of who I was, but I recognized something in him that I recognized in myself. So I think he had the same reaction and... That was just it. I mean, we're we're super good friends and we talk almost every day, I would say. I have some texts from him from this morning that I haven't replied to yet. And it's turned into like a really beautiful friendship. So that's the Ryan part. That's so lovely to hear. I, I That's so great that he was so kind to you, especially because like you said, he had his career somewhat in place already. It's so nice to hear that he was so kind and that you guys hit it off like that. I, I love finding people in life that you feel you really have a connection with. That happened with Catherine and I, too, because obviously we've been cousins our entire life. But <laughs> it wasn't until pretty recently, the past two years, that we've really found that we had a genuine connection in each other. So it's it's special to find that. That's really a great Yeah, it's rare. It really is rare. And I think you don't know it until you're a little bit older, right? Like, you don't really realize that to have, yeah. like, really good friends and people you really connect with, whether you're related or not, is... Is kind of like a unique, special thing. Especially for you at that time, because the first time, like you said, the first time you realize that it's such a formative experience when it's that first friend that isn't someone you grew up with and uh -huh. someone who really connects with you on a deeper level. It's yeah. very cool. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I felt that way with the the girls on the, the tour, all the girls playing, um, there's five of us playing sisters and then all the other girls in the tour. And I did feel that way with them, but it kind of felt the same way as like 
high school or an activity or something where we were all put together. You know, yeah, it's like a proximity like, friend, like when mm-hmm. you make friends at work and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we were like living and working together and together, I mean, 24 hours a day. And it was a different experience. And I think it was because I was still so young and it was like the first time I went to a movie by myself, right? And I was in Texas, like I didn't have a car, you know, I had to figure out with the hotel shuttle and I was still young enough that it was, look what I can do, you know, like I'm so bold. <laughs> yeah, so to go back to the movie, you know, because we actually are friends, it wasn't really like industry-based. He would always know what I was doing. I don't know what he was doing, but we weren't like, I, it was never like, what are you going to do for me? Or like, are you going to like put me in a movie? Right. You know, it was more like, I'm busy, you're busy. We're talking about whatever boy I'm dating and we're talking about, you know, whatever is going on in life. We got to Star Wars. He did a Star Wars a few years ago. Um, and I was in and out for callbacks for that, which obviously I did not get for Kelly's part. And that was really cool too. It was the first time it was like, oh, cool. Like you're bringing me in for something. We're going to have to have you back to talk about your experience auditioning for that. <laughs> Please. Cause because like, I'm Alexa having like a like freak out. Right okay. now <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine what that must've been like. And again, like I said, it, it's not, it's not ever been, I was doing a play in New York while that was going on. Right. Yeah. So like I was running to the theater in between callback. It wasn't, I was aware of this is a big deal, but it was still just like, oh, it's Ryan's movie. So I think that adds an element too of it. Yeah. And then we got to Knives and we were in New York. We were talking about like all the parts and he was like, you know, I feel like, again, there's not really something that's totally right for you. And so this is like a big deal. It's not like your friends making a movie, you know, it's like a $40 million project from someone else's pocket. All of that is he's at the helm of it. So it's not like, let me throw you in. Like you're my buddy. This is like a very serious thing. You know, he, he probably said that to me 75, 80 times because I would say like, are you sure? Like, I don't want you to feel like you like have to do this or, and he would say, Carrie, this is a $40 million movie. The reason that I'm writing you this part and putting you in it is because I want you to do it. I know you can do it. You're very talented. You know, like he would like speak into me about it. And that really helped me calm down about it. You guys are hilarious with your expressions right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, are we making the same face? <laughs> I just think it's so beautiful it, yeah, of him really to, is. to reassure you that way. Not to say that you needed the reassurance, of course, but I but did for know him at that to point. know that that's something that could have crossed your mind. Oh yeah. And again, I think it's because of that friendship, right? And when you know each other so well, mm-hmm. like I was able to say very clear things. And he was able to know me enough to say, look, let me speak this in your language, you know, which is so beneficial as an actress and a director, right? The trust that is there and our ability to communicate is pretty wild. Um, So transferring it into work has been really cool, like transferring our our connection into that. So he he was like, this is crap. I'm going to write you a part. I know he called me and said like, oh, do you know I'm pairing you with? And I was so excited. He was like giggling. It's like, oh, you know, and he's like, Frank Oz. I didn't know who that was. Like I had heard his name, but I didn't know who he was. He paired you with Frank Oz, but then he put you in a scene with literally everyone in the whole entire movie. Yes, on purpose. (laughs) What was that experience like being in a room with all of those people? Yeah, it was really fun. It was a lot more fun and a lot more inclusive than maybe I thought it was going to be. Or I guess I didn't think what it would or wouldn't be. I didn't really have the frame of mind to think that. Mm -hmm. But theater is like family, right? When you do a show with someone, especially a long-term show, there's always crazy drama. Everyone's obsessed with each other. There's always romances. It's like you're all like one group. And I didn't know with movies if it would be that way because I knew we all had our own trailers and I knew these were like huge stars and they technically wouldn't have to talk to me if they didn't want to because 
who's this girl? Oh, she's like in this scene, whatever. She's just here for a few weeks. Um, instead, nobody went to trailers and we all just hung out. They were very inclusive and um, we played a lot of games, which was really fun. We played like the movie game where you name something and then everyone, like a category and then everyone, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I think so. Is that where like you, there's like a category and then you all have to go around and name one? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I used to play that on lines when I was waiting for stuff with my friends. Yeah, it's a perfect like uh, time killer. And yeah. everyone can kind of be involved to their own degree. And I thought that was neat to play the movie game with a bunch of movie stars for the very first time. Who was best at it? Well, Chris was like the leader. Chris was very like into games. And he was like this is what we're going to do. You know, like we're like alpha got like very into it. If someone said the same thing as someone else, it was like, you know, so (laughs) he and Daniel had a lot of male lead energy, right? Because that's what they do in their careers. And that's what they do in their lives. And it was kind of story to story. You tell a story, I tell a story. And I mean, there are people who kind of stayed, um, Lakeith really stayed to himself. I think his, his style of preparation is to stay in it. Um, I think he's so unbelievably brilliant as an actor. Like I kind of wish I got to spend more time with him, but I absorbed him. And Michael Shannon obviously was, was fairly quiet and had a lot of time by himself too. But when he was with us, he was, he was really cool. So I know I read that you spent some time shadowing Ryan as the director. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Because that's very interesting to me. I don't know much about direction. It seems like a very daunting task. I didn't know at that point too much. I think for me, it was more a learning experience of being on set and watching how everyone related, what everyone's different parts were. And I think also he's like the big guy on set, right? He's like the person. And so me going and doing that prior to even starting shooting, I think was probably a way also for me to establish like, hey, I know him. Also, you know, wanting to learn. I am even more now after since it came out, I'm very passionate about where are the women, where are the women on set? Other than in the costume, the makeup, the hair department, there was a script supervisor that was female. Um, There were a couple females on the crew, but it was like men, a lot of men. And then a lot of the follow-up things, it was a lot of men. And then in a lot of meetings, it was a lot of men. So that's become something that prior I was not really aware of or even passionate about. And since then, I've been studying more and more like who directs, who writes, who sells projects, who produces, and how do I get to do that? That was my next question, whether you think you might want to do that. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I produced for the first time last year, really in exchange for doing voiceover for a friend's, actually a friend who had been on the crew at Knives um, was doing a feature of his own, and he asked me to come do some voiceover for it. So instead of basically being paid, I did it as a favor in exchange for per producer credit. Wow, nice. Yeah, and that's been interesting too to learn um, and to see what happens when you throw a producer credit on your IMDb. Like what happens with your emails? It's interesting, you know? (laughs) Um, And uh, I definitely, definitely want to produce. I think for me, the dream is to to produce in the same way Mindy Kaling, Reese Witherspoon. A lot of the times I've noticed there's a pattern where women, they are producing, right? But they're already an actress on the project or they've done enough that it's like, not throwing a name on, but there can be a little bit of distance, not the kind of producing, like, I don't want to be a line producer. I don't want to be a producer where it's like, I'm there all the time and everything's falling on me. I just want to be a producer in terms of, I have really great taste. I have the ability to read a book and say, 
okay, this, this author actually, I think would be someone great to option, you know, like in the future, like this would be something that I want to hold on to. Like I understand audiences. I understand, um, marketing on a, a very deep level. And so yeah, producing and I write, I've been writing on the side as my like side job. I've been writing since 2011 and I don't write for anybody else anymore at this point. So now I can just write for my own projects. And then I think, yeah, I want to step into directing probably in the next few years. I think directing pretty much is having the confidence to look confident all the time, even if you're nervous or you don't know what you're doing and have that energy of everything's going to be okay. And we got this and we know what we're doing and be in charge of a lot of people, whether or not you feel you can. That's, that's kind of what I've I've gone from it. You know, it's incredible that you say that because I was thinking as I'm listening to you talk about this, how very, very self-assured you are. Well, me? And how, yes. Okay, tell my therapist. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and how it really comes across as though you know exactly what you want. You're focused on getting there and there's not any sort of I mean, sure, we all have doubts, right? Like in the back of our mind, is that something I can really do? It, it, I'm sure it crosses your mind, everyone's mind, but it comes across to me that if you have an idea about something that you want to do, nothing is going to stand in your way of getting there. And that's cool. I think those are the people who actually make it in this industry. You can be talented, you can be beautiful, you can be all of those things, but if you don't have that, I don't know what the word is, but if you have that special thing within you where you trust yourself and even in moments where you're uncertain, you know that you're going to continue to move forward. I think that's what really makes people stand out. And I feel that from you. Thank you so much. That's like you're the welcome. nicest. I There's like no better compliment. The only thing that could be better is like, you're a great mom to your dog. Like other than that, no, <laughs> no. I'm sure your dog would say that. <laughs> yes, he like a little too much actually. Um, <laughs> yes. Thank you. I, that means the world to me. I can't say thank you enough. And I'm so happy to hear that that's the energy that you get. This is going to sound like a weird sentence but it's something that I'm hearing in every single interview I'm doing um, over the course of this past week. And that's pretty life changing for me because I was not like this. And I was not like this even, I would even say like this time last year, there's been a very large shift. I really think that has a lot to do. I have a wonderful, amazing therapist and I've been working with her for five years now. And the shifting that's been happening is pretty wild. And I think also because of the pandemic, right? And that's affected everyone in so many different ways. And I think in a weird way, the part of me that felt really behind in life or not good enough or worried I couldn't or I wouldn't, or maybe I could have this, but I couldn't also have that. Um, and the way we limit ourselves. A lot of that playing field to me felt evened or lessened. Something happened by all of us being stuck at home. Yes. And it felt like there's something about me that understands success is not location-based. And the part of me that was like, I have to be in LA, like right now. I moved to LA right after we shot Knives. Like, I have to go right now. That part doesn't exist anymore. There's something about, like, I, I had a bit of a pity party for myself that all my dreams came true with knives. I mean, all of them. I don't know what your like dream life is, but I was, whatever that is, imagine like you're suddenly living it. And that was the end of 2019 and the early 2020. So you were for a minute, you were like, that's it. I did it. I did it. And I was just so happy. And I had been very, very unhappy for a lot of years um, before it. I got very sick with Lyme disease, which mm -hmm. Lyme comes with its best friends, 
depression and anxiety, like it's actually some of the most common symptoms. And people don't know that if suddenly your mental health is like being affected, you might have a a tick-borne illness or probably a lot. Like I had like three or four, they almost never carry Mm. one. And I was so sick that even just a couple of years ago, I was just like laying on the floor sobbing. I mean, all the time. And it's hard to accept, Hey, actually this is like an illness. Like there's something happening in your body and your brain. And so to get then to that point, it was like, oh my gosh, I kicked my own butt. And I was like, look, if that's all I ever get to do, I know what it feels like I did it. I'll I'll always have those feelings and I'll always have this movie. And also the people that are suffering and struggling, it is not even close to me suddenly not having any more meetings. That is not even on the same world. So once I got that, I had a, a big shift that happened really the last, the fall and the winter of 2020. And I was like, okay, well, if all those meetings got canceled, I can set up meetings with other people and do them virtually. And I started like just cold reaching out to producers, female producers and saying like, Hey, I did this movie. I want to produce. Do you have 30 minutes? We could get on the phone. And they all said, yes. It's like really crazy to me. And I think again, they had that time. Right. So then, then after that, it, be, it became like, okay, I did a narrative podcast and I started to interview music producers. And I started to see that it's not location-based. It's not even based in what I've done so far. It's not based in anyone external, family or friends or anything. Whatever this thing is that has been revived that you're, that you're able to notice in this conversation, that's who I actually am. Like that's my actual self. And pretty much every day I have to like wake up and try and fight for that and, you know, choose those harder things. You guys can edit all this out, BT dubs, because I'm like no, on a tangent. I was absolutely <laughs> the opposite. I am so glad that you came on and talked about this. I'm so glad that the conversation went in this direction because it's really special and powerful to hear someone talk about this kind of a journey. And I feel like we don't hear enough about them, especially from women, especially from women in the industry whose voices are often silenced and not even to mention the voices that get silenced outside of the industry. So it's so amazing and powerful and lovely to hear you talk about your journey, both in your career and in your life. Thank you, honestly. Thanks, guys. And I also think part of why I am really back to myself is I stopped being quiet. I stopped being silent. And I started to say, like, hey, here's these things that have happened. And then even some conversations with some of those people and saying like, hey, here's this, this pattern I'm seeing and it doesn't make me feel safe or uh, we can't have this anymore or that's how you see this, then we're not going to be friends anymore. And it's a lot of loss, right? A lot of the clearing out in my life in the past like four years has been unbelievable. And that is what opens up room for the new stuff to come Yes, in. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yes. And I can tell by both of y'all's reaction, like, These are things that you've worked on or are working on or are doing or do understand in a way. There's something really freeing about finding yourself in a position where you feel like to one extent or another, whatever part of your life it's happening in where you've lost something really big. And I think when COVID happened initially for many of us, that was the feeling. And as you said, of course, there were many, many people dealing with much more devastating effects, like, you know, not at all to overshadow that, but to be in a place where it felt as though everything we had planned was suddenly just like pulled right out from under us. Mm -hmm. And everyone was in that same position at the same time. And at the same time, like in addition to that, there was also this sense of like whatever hierarchies were in place before had somehow collapsed. And we all it was as though everyone was much, much closer to the same level 
than we had all been before. And I think that sort of combination of things all at once was a real shift for a lot of people. It definitely was for me and clearly for you too, and probably you too, right, Alexa? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And to notice that and say, okay, let's, let's shift. Let's move. Right. Like, what am I going to, what am I going to do with what's, what am I going to create from what's left here? Mm -hmm. What am I going to decide? I'm going to take a look around at the pieces that are everywhere. What pieces am I going to decide to pick up? What pieces am I going to sweep up and throw away? And then what am I going to build from what I have picked back up? I think also an an emphasis on uh, now. Now is good. Right now is good. Yes. Right now. Let's make those calls right now. Um, Something about sending those emails cold to these people that didn't know me. And like the first one that came back and was like, yeah. And then the next one, and then the next one. And then I reached out to old agents and they were so excited to hear from me. And it's like, you have to get out of the mindset that says no one cares about me or I don't matter, or they forgot about me or right. they're not or that I have me. to wait yeah. Yeah. for them yeah. to, to approve this or give this to me or to ask them for, you know, whatever. Or that I have to settle that for what comes my way. Cause mm-hmm. it doesn't have to, you, if once you make the decision that you're not going to settle for what you have or what you get, and you're going to make things happen for yourself, you're putting yourself in a position to move forward in a really fast and progressive way on your own terms, not on the terms of others. Yeah. And it's up and down. You know, if, if anyone's listening to this and is like, oh man, I'm never going to get there. Yeah. You're going to get there. And then the next day you're going to wake up and you're going to be feeling like you're not there. And then you got to do the things, you know, and like maybe on a day to day, I used to think healing or happiness was like an achievement and you got there and that that was it, you know, and the same thing with success and the same thing with so many things. And now I actually am able to see like on any given day, I can be having the best day of my life. I can be having a really like challenging day. I can be having, you know, a totally normal run the laundry, do the errands type of day. And even if some of it feels better, none of it is really more important necessarily than the other. Your your life is your life, regardless of what you do outside of it. And regardless of your achievement, it's not, your identity is not in your achievement. It has to be in something bigger. Really want to talk about your acting because oh, okay, a few, right. I have a few things <laughs> Let's to Let's get say. back to that, right. Okay. <laughs> Number one, and I know Alexa was the one who actually brought this to my attention, your empty box acting. I was just going to bring this up because I'm look as we're having this very intense, deep conversation, I'm looking at this ridiculous note that says empty box acting, because I got to tell you, it is, it is something I noticed the empty coffee cups in movies, everything where it's, you have to act with a prop that's yeah. not really physically as it would be in real life. Your acting with the two legal boxes was hysterical to me. I deeply appreciated the realism of what it would be like to hold two full legal boxes of documents. Okay. No one has said anything like that (laughs) at all ever to me in two years of interviews. So that's amazing. That is like so good because there's another one coming and that is your sleep acting. (laughs) That, that girl, uh, that's been nonstop. That's been since the movie came out, but yes, go on tell me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But also what I wanted to say was in your scene where you deliver your lines, I don't know enough about the craft of acting to be able to, I'm sure there's a, a, a word or a phrase for this. I don't know what it is, but the energy with which you delivered them, the tone of it, I don't want to say it was funny because funny is not the right (laughs) word, but there was like, whatever the tone of the entire movie was, you delivered that in your lines. Uh, Harlan's assets included 
Um, the house. The house, which he owned up, right? Um, 60 million. Yes, 60 million in various cash accounts and investments. You perfectly encapsulated the tone of the entire film. It's like a dramatic film, but but there's like an element of what's the word? It's humor. I mean, it's there's there, it's, it's not like, playful, but it's what? I mean, it is those things. I think I think that the what makes Knives Out so great is that it captures the drama and the humor so into one because it's a whodunit. So the fact that it's a whodunit frames the whole movie as playful and humorful while it's still about someone was murdered. So, and there's many famous dramatic actors in it, but they, when they deliver lines, there is supposed to be a level of humor to basically everything that goes down. So in your scene, when the will executor is reading everything that's going on and that Marta is going to be inheriting all of the Thromby's fortune, there is something inherently funny about that while it's still being for the pe- the characters in the scene. It's a very dramatic and intense moment, but there is supposed to be for the audience levity in that too. It's not supposed to feel dramatic and we're certainly not supposed to feel bad for them. So it's, it's a situation where the tone of the scene really is emblematic of the whole movie. Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's like, that makes so much sense what you guys are saying that that kind of that big scene with everyone is really representative of kind of the whole feeling of the whole movie with those highs and lows. And but the, you, I mean, yeah. take care for that. <laughs> you really, you thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so that's so great to hear. I can't tell you like, what I did or didn't do. You know, I think Maybe it is just feeling that energy of what the scene is or understanding like what the the feel of the movie is. I think also she was so different than like Sally and Frank's character, Alan, were not of the family, right? And very few people in that movie were not of the family. We were the ones coming in from the outside. You know, I wrote her whole life story. Like I always do, even for commercials, I'll create like a whole life for characters. And Frank and I did... Um, lunch where we really had like an an in-depth conversation about who these people were and how they felt about each other. I, yeah, I'm so glad that that's what you guys got from it and that that's what came out and that it seemed like I fit in that, in that scene and in that movie. And so awesome to hear. Thank you. Carrie, was there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap it up? So I just released my first song. It's a holiday song, which um, people who know me are like, of course it's a holiday song. Like I love me some Christmas energy. I've already got my tree up. It's behind this uh, computer right here. And, um, and I, I've been writing songs since I was very, very little before I could write, my mom would write them down for me. Um, and I've been singing since before I could speak. And so much of my career was rooted in singing. And really when I got sick and when I got so depressed, I, I wasn't singing for a long time. And I thought, well, let me like work on music while I'm here. And, um, at that point I knew I wasn't doing the second knives because of the pandemic. There were just, I, I couldn't be brought out. I just like felt like the whole thing was told to me, like exactly what to do. The song I've had for a few years anyway, and I reached out back to one of the producers that I had talked to early in the year. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And we somehow did this while well, he was, he's on tour with some like big fancy country star plays guitar and I'm in New Jersey. Uh, I turned my closet into my studio 
And um, it's neat, right? Because when I was little, I would sit in that closet and write songs, right? Oh, my God. It's such a full circle moment. I know. That, for me, is why I'm here. Like, it's hard for me sometimes to be like, yeah, so I, instead of sitting in it, writing songs in my journals when I was little, I turned it into a studio, and I did it from here, and he did it from wherever he was on the road, and we somehow put this whole thing together. So I released it on the 18th. It's called For Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us. This was an amazing talk. I loved hearing everything you had to say. Uh, Where can people find you? You want to plug your handles? Totally. So yeah, on Instagram, which is where I am primarily on social, is Carrie Francis Official. It's the same on TikTok, which I use way less. And Twitter is Carrying On, which I also use way less. And then CarrieFrancis.com. And the song is on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. I had the best time. Um, and yeah, I know we didn't really talk. We, we kind of veered from, from Knives Out. And <laughs> That's okay. From- Thanks, Carrie. So a couple weeks ago, we did a Q&A on Instagram stories. And one of our followers asked us, I think it was, what's your favorite movie or what movie would you recommend? And we both gave a list of, I think, seven or eight movies. And as I was re-watching Knives Out, I thought to myself, I might bump something. Wow. I, I mean, we talked about this already on our first step. And the reason it made my fall movies list is because I instantly loved it. This is only my third time seeing it. And I felt like I have seen it many, many more times than that. I was thinking of you as I was watching it because the phrase that kept running through my head was, this is a perfect movie. It is. This is without a single flaw. And I know you say that, I think, because your dad says that about yes. The Fugitive. Yes. And I feel that. It fits the rules. It has to have no cuttable scenes, which it doesn't. It has to have elements of humor and of drama and be well done in both. And it does. It has to have a plot that's interesting, which it does. It has to have acting that's good. It's a perfect movie. And as we just discussed in our interview with Carrie, even the smaller characters who only deliver a few lines, their acting is good too. Yeah. My favorite thing about this is the detail because sometimes a movie like this where there's a mystery to be solved or an answer at the end can feel like it's being hidden the whole time and then you get it at the end. But I think that there are so many brilliant details that, like a truly genius person in theory, maybe they couldn't have, but they could have figured it out. Maybe that's not totally true, but I think that there's enough groundwork and foreshadowing and brilliant attention to detail that makes it feel like it's not totally unexpected. Like, oh my God, I never saw that coming at the end. Even small stuff, like one of the things I wrote down is in the very beginning, there is a mention of in the middle of the night, the dogs bark. Sometime later that night, it was undetermined, but possibly near 3 a.m., Meg woke up because the dogs were barking outside. She used the bathroom, went back to bed. 
And the dogs only bark at a couple people, people they don't know. And Ransom is someone that they don't know. So in theory, if someone picked up on that, they could have realized that it was Ransom that came in the middle of the night because the dogs don't bark for a lot of the other people because they see them much more. I love when Harlan in the very beginning when he's playing Go with Marta says that Ransom is the kind of person who lives life in a way where he wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a real knife and a prop. Jesus, Ransom. (laughs) Oh, there's so much of me in that kid. Uh, Confident, stupid, I don't know, protected. Playing life like a game without consequence. (laughs) Until you can't tell the difference between a stage prop and a real knife. And that that comes back in the end. I Because... Stuff like that is what makes a movie rewatchable because you can you won't get that on the first watch. You'll get that on the second or the third or the fourth. And this has so much layering that there is something you could notice for the very first time watching it for the 10th time. And that is another aspect that makes it a perfect movie because there's always something to figure out. You know that I love this kind of stuff. I mean, I always have. My dad and I really have a big connection with this. When I was little, before we would go, before I would go to bed, we would read a book. But sometimes we had this book of riddles and we would do that instead. And so I love this genre. And I wish there were more movies in this because I feel like there's only like two. It's like this and Clue. Like I wish there were so many more because I think there's so much fun because it's better than just a murder mystery where it's just someone gets murdered and it's totally dramatic the whole time. This is like Clue characters in a big mansion with they have amazing jewel toned outfits and it's fun in a way that just figuring out a murder would not be fun. <laughs> I read that Ryan, the writer-director, said something along the lines of that he'd love to do this the way Agatha Christie wrote books. Like, yeah. basically just as long as the story is there to keep doing new ones. And I think, how cool would that be if for the next 20 years or whatever it is, every two or three years, we have a new one? I think it's amazing to keep just Blanc as the only character that recurs because he'll just be solving new mysteries that is they can make 15 of them I would watch all 15 another thing I loved about it is in these types of stories typically I my brain is going the whole time and thinking of course like most people who could it be that one's too obvious yeah it's probably that one that whole thing I didn't really do that in this one. Of course, there's a reason why it could have been anybody. But once they show us that Marta gave him the wrong medicine and that he slit his throat, that's really the end of the mystery, or so we think. It's so funny because I had the opposite reaction to that moment. (laughs) Well, of course, there's you know as the viewer that there's more to it. There's more to unravel. Like There's going to be another, at least one more big twist. But the main question of who killed him is answered. Yeah. And so that allows my brain to relax and know that whatever the other big twist is Mm -hmm. will just come when it comes and I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to be thinking about it. And you know me, I don't want to figure movies (laughs) out. Yeah, you don't. You're, You're constantly thinking about what is the ending to the point where you often look up the endings beforehand. I didn't for this. To relieve yourself of that. (laughs) (laughs) But I, most of the time I don't do that and I don't want to do that. 
Uh, That makes it work for me. I would rather just absorb it as it goes. And so I liked that it was, it was a mystery and and I knew that there was going to be something else big, but I didn't feel the need to be constantly thinking about what it was going to be and who it was going to be. It definitely changed the way I was thinking about it because up until the point where she goes through what happened on the night from her perspective, obviously I was really aggressively trying to figure out who I thought it might be. And then when, when that sequence happens, I'm like, huh, this seems like it would have came way later. So if, if we're finding out all supposedly that happened that night, there must be something else that happened that we don't know yet, because obviously they wouldn't have it where we knew the big twist at the 15 minute mark. So it definitely toned my hyper thought down. I still was trying to figure out what the next big thing was going to be like who else was going to be involved or like what was going to happen. That was because obviously she's the, she's the main character for all intents and purposes. So even if she was responsible, I knew they were going to have to engineer some way in which she truly either wasn't, or there was something else out of her control that was going to make it. So she was not guilty of killing him. And then they did. So I kind of knew I had accepted that. All right. If she's the main character and she clearly did it by accident, they were either going to have to like vindicate her character in some other way that was going to make it clear that she, otherwise we wouldn't be happy that she gets away with it. If she was truly responsible, whether it was her fault or not, Ransom obviously made it so that it was her fault, but then she ended up switching it back. If he did that, if the meds were switched then when I got them mixed up, I I accidentally switched them back, so I gave Harlan... The correct doses, yes. But not accidentally. I taped over the label of these two vials. The vials themselves are identical. How do you know this was the morphine? I just knew. You knew because there is the slightest, almost imperceptible differences of tension and viscosity between the two liquids. You knew because you'd done it a hundred times. You gave him the correct medication because you are a good nurse. Then Harlan was... I'm sorry, Marta, but yes. Harlan was perfectly fine. So that she didn't end up killing him, which was sad for her to realize, I'm sure, but also happy. Must have been a very bittersweet moment to realize that she didn't truly kill him, but also that he died for nothing. Yeah, like the initial moment of relief. Yeah. But then the realization that it was he didn't think, yeah, Yeah. that he didn't have to die and that he was going to be fine. One of the little things I noticed this time around was when Richard goes into Harlan's study to find the letter. Mm hmm. So that his wife doesn't find it. He opens it up, sees that it's blank, and then has that moment where he picks up the baseball and throws it through the window to have that be later on returning that baseball to its rightful spot is what allows Linda to find the letter. It is so I had this written down because I hadn't even thought of it on my own watching it. I had to, I read it that it was one of the points someone brought out in an article that it was even the salt, the smaller subplots were woven so intricately that it was ultimately his fault that she found the letter. 
if he had not yes. thrown the baseball and it hadn't gone exactly. the whole way around where Blanc picked it up and then the dog had it and the dog, this and that, if, if she might not have found the letter, even in a smaller, smaller subplot that at that at ultimately you might not have been paying too much attention to that she was finding out that her husband was cheating on her. I mean, the characters, every single person in the family is amazing. Their characters are so instantly mapped out for us in the interview process. And their retelling of the night is so fucking funny. There is such small moments of humor in all of it where they all recall the moment where the cake comes out. Each one of them is next to Harlan when that happens, but it's impossible for them to have all been in that situation, but they're so self-centered and so into their story and their family and their life that each one of them, when they remember it, they're the ones standing beside Harlan when the cake comes out. And and then the brilliant comedy of what they're saying versus what you see when um, I think it's um, Joni is talking about how she was dancing and like loved like the family really embraced her as part of the family, even though her husband had died and she wasn't truly a part of it anymore. And she tries to dance with Jamie Lee Curtis with Linda and she just totally blows her off. But she is talking to Blanc and the detectives like that wouldn't have been the case, that she is still included in the family and very much a part of it. But you see on the screen that that's not what's going on. Oh, they're my family. I feel simultaneously freed by and supported by them. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. They really are all absorbed in and living in their own stories. Yeah. Even when they, each of them, one, two, the two running things that happen that they all repeat that is funny too, is that first of all, they all talk about where Marta's family is from and they all say different places. Linda says Ecuador, that her family's from Ecuador. Marta Arlen's caregiver, good girl, hard worker. Family's from Ecuador. Richard says her family's from Paraguay. Good kid. Been a good friend to Harlan. Family's from Paraguay. And then Richard later, when they're all sitting around the uh, in the at the party, says her family's from Uruguay. Marta, your family is from Uruguay. So they all tote that they know where she's from and that she's a part of the family and we love Marta, but they none of them know where her family is from. And they all say to her also that they were outvoted about allowing her to come to the funeral. I thought you should have been there. All right, don't come I was on. outvoted. I thought you should have been at the funeral. By the way, I was outvoted. But obviously they all voted for her not to go because they all say it to her. But that's such a crazy small detail. <laughs> I feel crazy. <laughs> I'm like, so like, <laughs> that is so cool. I have a question. Sure. Um, I thought her name was Anya de Armas, but when Carrie said it, she said Anna. I thought it's so Anna. Is it Anna? I need to double check. Yeah, double check it. it. Yeah. Anna. Okay, Anna. I might have even said this in our very first episode because we covered this a bit. I had never seen her act before. So the only thing I knew of her were those paparazzi photos that were so horrendously obnoxious when she was dating Ben. And I find her to be captivating. I think she's an incredible actor. Obviously she's very beautiful, but there's something so intriguing about 
her face and her presence on screen in every single moment. But the one that really, really stood out was when her reaction, when Harlan slits his throat, that close up of the camera of the shock on her face and the way she has to cover her mouth to stifle her own scream and the way her eyes well up with tears. And then she sits on the, at the top of the staircase to try to process it, which is basically impossible. And then to, get herself together to be able to go downstairs and enact the whole plan. I mean, it was perfect casting all across the board, really. But she was amazing. She was amazing because also it's really impressive when you see her. I love the scene when she's in the upstairs attic with Harlan and you, and you see the way she acts with him and how she's like cheeky with him and she jokes around with him and she's cute and very comforting. And they clearly have a really strong friendship and bond. Hey. Uh, no second thoughts. No, 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 no. Get up I here. I had a glass of champagne. No. Harlan, listen we to are, me. It's you've late. only had one glass. I had- Exactly. We are not breaking tradition on my birthday. Can you just take your goddamn medicine and go to bed? If you're going to put that vile shit in me, you have to earn it on my birthday. 85th birthday. Fine. I'm so old. (laughs) Really love drama, huh? (laughs) Okay, let's do this nine by nine. Right. You ready? I'll whip your ass. Are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How dare you? I know how this is going to end. What is that? Why can't I beat you at this game? Because I'm not playing to beat you. I'm playing to build a beautiful pattern. That's elder abuse. I'm going to call the AARP. Don't make me get the belt, abuelo. It's basically over. My only hope is that an earthquake will strike. And to see how she acts in that scene as compared to literally every other scene we see her where, where she's interacting with the rest of the family. It's so amazing to see, cause that's how she would be that kind that yeah. person. Marta would act like that because she would have, she would know that she has to act proper amongst the family. She's technically their employee, but when she's around Harlan, she's really his friend. Yeah, you're right. I love that. And I noticed that a lot in the moments that they show us before his death, Mm -hmm. when you see them interacting and um, like there's one where they're in his office, she's sitting in a chair with a mug of something and she's reading and he's sitting at his desk and he, he sort of said, I don't remember, he says something or whatever. And she looks up and says like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Like in such a way that, you know, they have a really calm, comfortable rapport with each other. Oh, journey. What's up? That there can be those moments of silence where they're both doing their own thing in each other's company. And that when he exclaims over something, she has the ability to say to him what's going on. Because there are a lot of people, caretakers or otherwise, who if they were to say to Harlan what's going on, he'd be like, it's none of your effing business what's going on. That was what I was just going to say. Also that he trusts her to literally just say the answer. He's he's not afraid. He tells her she knows everything that he's going to do that night at the party before the party. She knows that he's planning to cut them all off, that he's planning to confront them all about what they've been doing and everything. And she knew all that before the party. I've got to say, I'm looking forward to Knives Out 2 so, so much. 
but man, do I wish it could be the same cast. I know know the second one is going to be amazing. I know what I wish they would do is, is sort of similar to some anthologies that like, I think the haunting of Hill house did this with the second season is that they had all the same actors, but they played it for characters. I wouldn't even mind that. that. Yeah. I wouldn't even mind that if they just if they had all the same people and but it wasn't the thrombies they were some other family or some other thing and they all had their own different things. Like, damn. But it, I guess I it doesn't work if if they want to do this ten times. Yeah, hypothetically, I guess, I guess so. Because then at some point you lose people and yeah, that's I true. don't know. That's true. Have you looked at the cast for the second one? Well, I didn't look at it, but I remember when it was being announced and every, it was basically, it became a meme joke on Twitter that was like, I've been cast in the Knives Out 2. Oh, that's right. You I forgot that? about that. It was literally, we were getting Knives Out 2 <laughs> casting announcements like every day. And it was every <laughs> single person that was in it. And it, but I don't even remember now at this point who's been cast in it. Edward Norton, Janelle Monet. Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., my fashion king. Oh my Kate god. Kate Hudson, Ethan Hawke. Oh my god, I can't. Do we have a date for that yet? Well, it was filmed over the summer in Greece <gasps> and my prediction is that it's going to come out fall 2022. Oh my god. But I don't know if it if they f- I imagine if they filmed it in Greece, it must take place there, right? Because it must be in a place. I would bet. Yes. I wonder if it's a summer movie. I wonder if it'll be released in the summer. I bet it'll, it's going to be my guess. This is going to, it's going to be like a vacation, like a very wealthy family. Succession meets Knives Out. Yes. Meets that, (laughs) meets that very, very, very bad murder mystery. Jen Aniston, Adam Sandler. That's the vibe I'm feeling. Ocean's 12 meets murder mystery yes yes but good clarify that (laughs) (laughs) that's what that's what i'm envisioning now that i know it's been it filmed in greece okay so then in that case my prediction is probably incorrect maybe it'll come out in the summer oh my god I would love. could we be that lucky yeah right if it it, for it to come out a year after it was filmed is reasonable yes i would think it would be weird if it was later than that oh my god I would, I can't wait. I've never been so excited. Well, I know what I'm more excited for. (laughs) So when I finished this, I looked up what Oscars it had been nominated for. And I was aghast. It was only nominated once for best original screenplay. Very well-deserved. But the fact that it was not nominated for production design. Somebody needs to do something. And what about the score? Any of those things. No acting nominations. Ana de Armas was robbed. She needed, uh, I think she deserved a nomination for sure. A nomination at the very least. Not to drastically switch topics, but I have a complaint. Okay. Actually, this isn't switching topics. It's on the topic. Not only was it not nominated for production design, but I need you to know who was nominated. In 2019. I want to hear it. Jojo Rabbit deserved. Yes. Parasite also deserved. Yes. 1917 didn't see it. Don't care. Hate it because I want to. The Irishman. No idea. Didn't see it. Should see it. Haven't yet. But what won was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, you and I both liked that a lot. But you're going to tell me that that one... And this wasn't even nominated? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
I don't even think that should have won over what was nominated. Forget this. There were, there were so many smaller films within Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I imagine oh. the the whole oh, production yeah. team. I, I mean, it was a feat. Yeah, I, I won't I won't discount that. Yeah, you're right. But I didn't feel a connection to or anything about the sets. Really. Yeah. That's they were so true. Clearly they were done so well that I didn't think about them. Yeah. But like Parasite, I thought about that through the entire thing. Yes. Jojo Rabbit, same. Same. Knives Out. I thought about that. There was not a moment. Yeah. I was, I was almost like verging on frantic because, and this is my second viewing, because not only was I trying to pay attention to the incredible acting and the complex interesting great story but also the wardrobe and the decor in the mansion insane what i want to understand and i read a little bit about this last night but i need to learn more to to really really get it is how much of that really comes down to the production designer versus the art director versus the set decorator mm. obviously the production designer is the the vision they're creating the vision. The art director is essentially like delegating and managing all the different departments, costuming, hair and makeup, sets, everything. But I think the set decorator has a lot to do with it. I'm trying to compare it in my head to when I worked in production design for events and think about the big picture versus the team of people that put it into play and like where all that fits. I know they're not entirely equal, but mm -hmm. that's the only experience I have to compare it to. I just would love to know who bears most of the responsibility for making that place look like that, which by the way, I think I saw somewhere that it was actually three different mansions that they used. Yes. I think the outside is different than the, than the interiors and even all the interiors are not all one house. I don't believe. Interesting. Um, Another thing that going into production and that team of people, all of the clocks and phones are set to reflect what time it would be in the story. I love stuff like that. That is a real attention to detail because that's shit's the, usually the stuff that's totally off. You don't know, like you cannot keep track of what time, any time, anything is in a movie, but their clocks and watches and their phones, when you saw their screens were all reflecting accurate time to the story. I love that. I also read that um, since so many of the actors, uh, so many of the characters have glasses that they had, the key grips had to place special mats so that the lighting wouldn't be reflecting off of all of their glasses. Because there were so many scenes that they wanted to make them feel like I'm so naturally obsessed with that it actually was being lit from the house and not like TV lighting. It absolutely did feel like it was yep. natural lighting or, or lighting from within the house. Did you know that our boy JGL had a cameo? It's not a visual what? cameo. It's an audio cameo. He is the voice of when, you know, when Marta's sister is watching the show about people being murdered and her mom asks yeah. her to turn it off. That's JGL's voice. Slashed his face open. You left him bleeding in the street like a stuck pig. Then you crushed his skull with a forklift and burned his hands off to erase the fingerprints. You'll never prove it. We have the nanny cam footage. Alice, turn that off now. That's incredible. 
What does it? How did that? Oh, because he was he's, in Looper. He was in Ryan's. He's first film. friends with him, I think, because he's also he makes a cameo in The Last Jedi too. Ryan Johnson's cousin is who scored the film. Yeah, I saw that, and that apparently he scores a lot of his films, almost all of them except for Star Wars. I think. So our plans make sense then for us to be making movies together. I think so. Happens if we with cousins all the time. We use Ryan Johnson as the model, then we're golden. <laughs> That's all my notes, shockingly. Um, I just have a funny, it's very out of place. I might end up cutting this, but I just have a funny thing. I, it was just another minor detail that I loved to show the differences between the, the thrombies when um, they get introduced to Detective Blanc. And Joni says, wait a minute. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. The last of the gentlemen's sleuths? You solved that case with the tennis champ? <laughs> You're famous. She didn't read the yes, article. She read a tweet about it. And then Linda says that she read the article. Mr. Blanc, I know who you are. I read your profile in The New Yorker. I found it delightful. So it's just show. It's just like a tiny thing that shows the difference between Linda and Joni because Joni didn't read the article. She just saw a tweet about it. <laughs> I would absolutely love to be able to talk with Ryan and learn about how he even begins to write a script like this. I don't know. I saw in an interview that he said that he's a big fan of these types of stories. So obviously it's probably in his blood from, I imagine he's been reading them you know, for many years or whatever, but I just could never even begin to have come up with a story like this. Yeah. It it does feel like it's so Agatha Christie-esque because it's almost, it's so genius to have Ransom be the one that's responsible for it all because he was the one that was helping Marta and alongside her. It's almost like the most unlikely person is the end of one is the one that's responsible. And it's just the level of detail. And even I love that he even includes that that Harlan is an Agatha Christie type and writes these kinds of mysteries. Like, I love that he's a mystery writer. Even when Marta accidentally, or she thinks she accidentally gives him the morphine instead of the other drugs she's supposed to give him, he's like writing it down as a method of murder for one of his books, potentially. Like, I'm going to give you an emergency shot of naloxone so you don't die in 10 minutes. Oh, well, no pressure. <laughs> you, you know, this is an interesting and efficient method of murder. I I need to write this down. (laughs) So if someone switched the meds on purpose, I'd be dead in 10 minutes. Funny that he's a mystery writer and then he becomes the subject of a mystery. It's so cheeky and cute. I love it. This would be a story he would write as one of his books. Yeah, you're right. It was such a good, I don't know, it was such good energy. Yeah. When she was completely panicked because she had just killed him and he was writing it down yeah he was like oh my gosh <laughs> he's like this is a great way to murder someone he's like what exactly would happen how long would it take and he's going through this scenario realizing ultimately that it's also happening to him so it's just so it's such a good intricate moment where he's he realizes it's happening to him but he's still finding the humor and the fact that it would be an interesting way to kill someone in one of his books And the way that he, I mean, it is the ultimate act of true kindness that she, Uh, yeah, as far as they know, accidentally gave him a lethal dose of medication. And his response to that is 
let me quickly come up with a way to save you. Your mom is still undocumented. And if this is your fault, she'll be found out and at best deported and your family will be broken. But we're not going to let that happen, are we? Huh? But you have to do exactly what I tell you. Will you do this, Marta? Hmm? This last thing for me, for your family? This is silly and like maybe I'll cut this out, but I I did have this thought when she's sort of leading them on that car chase mm-hmm. and driving that little old Hyundai. Yeah. It felt like that was her car. <laughs> and when she when she zoomed around and and like tapped into that shopping cart, the way she throws the car into park and takes the keys out and everything just felt like it was something she had done 10,000 times like that really was her car. Yes. I fucking love this movie. I really do. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I know I feel like I say that every episode about every movie, but I really, I genuinely mean it about this one. And this was, I can't believe it didn't make my list of ones to recommend because there is not a person on earth I could see watching this and not loving something about it. How brilliant was it for her to swipe a magnet from that security guard's fridge? I didn't even know you could ruin a VHS that way. I didn't either. I looked it up and it was like, I swear Google was like, yeah, idiot. (laughs) It's like such a known thing. I also love when they're traipsing through the woods and they get to the the gate and Blanc realizes that he shouldn't have them walking through because he needs to look at the... I love when she walks back and forth and she's like... Marta, stop. What? Um, What? Marta, stay there with Marta. No, Marta, stay there, Marta. No, no. If you you call me. Excuse me. All right. (laughs) She's so good. So funny. Good. The only thing why, here's my only complaint. And I, I get why they did it, but here's my, I just hate it. I would cut any vomit stuff. It grosses me out. I hate it. I can't. Ugh, it's so disgusting. They show it so many times. I. But it's I, such a perfect. I know it's. I know it's so necessary, but I hate it. So that's. But they that's, don't really show it until the end. Uh, like we don't actually see it. Right? I mean, when when she throws up into like the thing when she first meets him, we see a little the bit. The And then, thing? And then yeah. the part when she vomits in his face is so foul. It's so gross. I can't even. But it's also so perfect, and he deserved it. <laughs> I mean, he definitely deserved it, but I love the sequence when he tries to kill her, when he grabs the knife and just like, is like, fuck it. And like goes, and then everyone's reaction, Lakeith Stanfield's is so funny in his slow-mo reaction to try and jump to get him. (laughs) And the looks on their faces, it's a really funny, well-done moment. It really is. Even that whole set piece is so cool that, that night, that knife thing, that knife thing, that knife thing <laughs> turned Australian. <laughs> Do you think he was thinking of Game of Thrones when he did that? Oh, maybe a little nod to the Iron Throne. Why do you even know that's what it's called? I don't know. Cause I know everything. <laughs> I loved when she said, do you mind if I make a stop? I have to pick something up. It'll be really quick. Do you mind if I stop for a second? I need to pick something up. It'll be very quick. Like, think about the balls that that takes. <laughs> that you're with the lead investigator <laughs> and you're going to stop to pick up this thing that could incriminate you or yeah. the, the, the crux of the whole thing. His, his response is funny, too, when he's just like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> like, he has glasses in his hand and he's just like, 
Sure. I mean, like, I don't care, I guess. <laughs> and then he's in the car singing with his headphones <laughs> in when the ambulance yes. pulls up. Thought of you stays bright. Sometimes I stand in the middle of the floor. Oh, my God. I knew that that spot of blood on her shoe was going to come back around, but I couldn't yeah. remember from the first time what it was going to be. Yeah. I'm so glad he knew from the beginning that she was somehow involved. Yeah. But that also was trying the whole time, basically to try and make it. So it wasn't her fault. He was like rooting for her. I love when he interrupts her when she's about to confess to the family and he yells at them. So good when he's got the toxicology report behind him and he's reading it and he's putting it, he puts it all together in that moment. And he's like, excuse me. You have not been good to her. You have all treated her like shit to Steal back a fortune that you lost and she deserves. You're a pack of vultures at the feast. Knives out, beaks bloody. Well, you're not getting bailed out. Not this time. Miss Cabrera has decided definitively not to renounce the inheritance. What? What? Furthermore, it will be my professional recommendation to the local authorities that the manner of death in the case of Harlan Thromby is ruled as suicide. And the case is closed. Monk. What? Thank you all for coming. Goodbye. What's going on? Isn't that crazy how much he has to put together yeah, that quickly? That quickly. It's because it was because he almost had it, but he was missing a final piece. Like he the hole inside the donut inside the yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I read that Ryan Johnson wanted to cut that, but then he heard. But Daniel Craig was like, "No, you have to leave it in," and and he delivered it. And Ryan was like, "You were right. I needed to leave it in because <laughs> he hadn't. He was like, he wrote it, and I guess like on paper it could sound kind of dumb, but then his delivery of it is so funny that he was like, "You were right. It was good to keep it in." I spoke in the car about the hole at the center of this donut. And what you and Harlan did that fateful night seems at first glance to fill that hole perfectly. A donut hole in a donut's hole. But we must look a little closer. And when we do, we see the donut hole has a hole in its center. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut... It's not a hole at all. If it had gone on five seconds longer, it Uh, would have been cuttable. It was very funny, though. (laughs) Even the detective behind him is like, I I understand that this might be amusing for you, but we have to like wrap this (laughs) up. Like we cannot just like stand here and like have you like banter with her. And she's like (laughs) waiting for information that is going to alter the course of the rest of her life. And he's talking about donuts and holes. (laughs) I got to talk about the final shot. When she takes us when she's on the balcony and she takes a sip from the coffee mug that says like our ha- what does it say? I it think it says, says my house. Says my house, it? my rules, something like that. It it does. It does. My house, my yeah. rules. Yeah. Isn't there a third thing written on there though? Yes, but I you can't see it. Oh, okay. It's perfect. It's a perfect final shot. I think that I read that it was a little bit found on the day like they had the mug just around and they were like oh she's got to be drinking from that because they knew she was going to have to drink from something but they didn't really know what and then he was like that's it that's perfect it's a perfect ending it's so great that final shot all right if you enjoyed this episode please share about it on stories and tag us and carrie so we can all say hi and leave us a rate and review on itunes thanks you guys till next time